0: This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit emmausdenver.com. Good morning. Excited about our little Advent series that we have. Um, if you haven't already got uh, an Advent guide, uh, we have them over there. They're free. You can pick one up. This was actually developed by a ministry, a ministry called Urban Sky. And um, Steel Toaster, I think that's what it is. Yeah, Steel Toaster Ministries. Um, and if that sounds funny, it's because the pastor that started the Urban Sky Ministries, the name of his church before he did this is called Scum of the Earth. Um, so that's just, he's got a thing for names. Uh, and they're one of our church neighbors uh, just a few blocks over that way, actually. Uh, and they're currently Pastor Daniel, uh, someone that I connect with every now and then. He's a, he's a wonderful dude. Another dude from Texas, actually, another guy from Texas. Um, But we're we partner with a handful of churches. We're we're sort of like halfy members to this organization called the Church Cooperative of Denver. Um, We haven't fully joined the organization um, yet. Uh, A big part of even with them is they kind of want to. They want to kind of make sure that the pastors can get to know each other, that there can be some interaction, that you can kind of get a feel for like what the what the little local organization is about um, before they have people sort of jump in and like like sort of sort of fully commit to the organization. But we participate essentially, is what I say, uh, with the Church Cooperative of Denver, and so there's a handful of churches actually this week going through this Advent guide. Uh, the like Ben said, the first day of Advent is today. And um, so there's a handful of churches around Denver that are kind of talking about these things. And I thought it was a really cool idea talking about the deep theology of Christmas carols. The deep theology of Christmas carols. And he brought up uh, Mike, the the guy that did the introduction to the, to, uh, the Advent Guide, he brought up that apparently, and I was like, maybe I should ask him for his sources, but I just took him at his word. Apparently, the earlier we start Christmas music in the holiday season, um, there's more correlation to, like, less mental health. <laughs> like, so, so something with, like, the sooner you hear uh, Christmas songs, uh, like, the more stressed out you get. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so I don't know, don't, uh, I thought that was a, you know, those, anecdotally, I sort of felt that. Uh, and I, I've been uh, involved in a church in some form of le- leadership in ministry for for probably seven years now, whether it's a GC leader or an elder or on staff, and me and Bridget have told each other a couple of different times, like we better prepare our hearts because a lot of times people are in like a tough spot come January. Like, like for whatever reason, something about the holiday season sort of takes it out of people, and come January, like that's when sort of the tough, difficult, or just painful counseling situations seem to bubble up to the surface. Um, And we've seen that a handful of different years. And so we've kind of like, kind of, you know, have like a rhythm of like praying about it and like being ready in our hearts for like what is to come in January. And after having conversations with folks a handful of times, the thing that comes up the most, the thing that comes up the most about why they feel like they're kind of having a hard time at the beginning of the year is that because of all the things going on during the holidays, they didn't really have a lot of time to sort of enjoy the presence of the Lord. They didn't have a lot of time to just like sit and either worship or be in the word or be in prayer or participate in uh, sometimes uh, in church things because there's so many other things that are going on or work gets crazy or things like that. It seems like a kind of a trend that because of the busyness of the holiday season, which is like, you know, it's, it's the funnest part and also the most stressful part. You know, it's like, yeah, all these cool, fun things, but also like, oh, all these cool, fun things. My calendar's getting all compressed. Um, but it seems like a common thing that people struggle to take time to consider the Lord and enjoy his presence during the holiday season. And I think it's just because it's, it's so chaotic. And now I don't think this is what was in mind when the sort of Advent tradition started I do think it's something that we can benefit from. Um, you know, if you Wikipedia, Advent, it's just a word that comes from the Latin that means to come. It's sort of rooted around this idea of Jesus's first coming and, and, and looking forward to his second. So, so Advent's just like to come, like Jesus has come. And we were saying about that um, even this morning, and we're gonna sing about this as we, as we go forward. But this idea of Advent is thinking about the coming of Jesus, I think is extra extra important for us in sort of like the craziness of all the things that are going on. And the reason why I really like the, the song portion of this is because of all the different ways we experience the presence of God, you and I probably have access to that via music more than anyone in all of church history, <laughs> Like we can, we can. You know, uh, this week, this week my family was in town. I had two people, two children staying at my my two bedroom condo, as well as two other adults, as well as me and Bridget. Um, So it was a lot of fun. I love those kids; they're good kids. But like six people in a two bedroom condo for a week—it's not usually my life. Um, The number of screens, phones, tablets, TVs, laptops playing something in my living room at any given time was like more than I could more than I could like take in at any moment, so it was like a little rattling for me, and I I knew on Monday, I was like, man, I'm not going to have a ton of time to be in prayer, to be in the Word, to just rest in the presence of God, and and as I'm thinking about this, preparing for my sermon and praying about this on Monday, I get a text message like, hey, they're waiting for you to show up because then we're going to make breakfast and do this and this and this and this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm already sort of getting into the, the intensity of all the things, And then I'm driving home and I'm like, I'm literally preaching a sermon, this Advent series about how music and the songs and the beautiful theology of these songs can draw us closer to the Lord. So I put on Oh Holy Night, the song we're going to talk about this morning. I put on Oh Holy Night in the car on my way back, was just thinking about who God is and what he's done. And I feel like, I don't feel like, it's just embarrassing to say because I'm a dude, like tears, like coming down my face while I'm driving home. Thinking about the wonder and the beauty and the joy of who God is and what he's done. And so as we go through this Advent series, I'm trying, as we look at these songs, I'm trying to say there's wonderful and deep and beautiful truths about who God is. And it's so easy for you to find one of these songs, to listen to it, and to be drawn closer to God himself, even if it's going from one crazy event to the next crazy event this season. And I think that music is just a, just a wonderful kind of place for us to do that. And I was thinking about how that even shows up in Scripture, this idea that like music is something that, that draws us into the presence of God. Music is something that gives us a sort of a sense of or gives us an experience of God himself. And it doesn't say it's explicitly a song, but before the fall, the first thing Adam does when he sees Eve is he gives a little poem. And so in my head, I just thought of it as a song. Maybe it wasn't a song, but it's just poetry and the the rhythmic nature of his words is actually before the fall when he sees Eve and God pronounces everything very good, he has a little poem, has a little rhythmic way to sort of celebrate at last. I have, a, I have someone I can enjoy this creation with at last, and he has this like poetry little, little, little section in our, in our scripture. And then we go forward in the story, and, and, and just kind of highlighting how song is so important in scripture itself, this huge event in the Exodus, where the slaves are, are uh, under Pharaoh, Um, all kinds of terrible things are happening. They finally come out. God finally destroys all of their enemies. They're on the other side of sort of like the most insane set of miraculous events and they celebrate by a song. Moses sings a song. And you actually have reference to that song quite a bit um, throughout all of scripture. And then maybe the most obvious ones, we think about songs, we have a whole um, set of... uh, Chapters in our Bible called the Psalms, not exactly the same thing, but, but they are a ton of poems and, and songs, a, a ton of things that are sung with music uh, in, in a sort of a rhythmic way so that you can remember who God is and experience him. So you can remember who God is himself and, and have, have strength and have joy in the experience of God. So it's not that surprising then if we jump to Ephesians It's not that surprising then that the Apostle Paul, when he's talking about the what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what it means to have God himself dwelling inside of you, he relates that to song. He relates that to songs. In Ephesians 5, I think I'll start in verse 17, there should be a slide for that, um, but we're going to kind of, yeah, so... Maybe just a little asterisk. We're gonna jump around a little bit today. Um, so if you can't totally follow on the screen, I tried to get the slides kind of in the same order that I am gonna go in, but I can't always guarantee that. Uh, it's a lot harder when you're jumping around than when we're sort of just walking through a passage. So we're gonna kind of jump around. I'm gonna reference some scripture. I'm gonna reference the song, um, O Holy Night. That's the, the deep theology of that psalm or that song, O Holy Night, that we're gonna talk about this morning. Um, but look, look what he says in Ephesians. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about God himself dwelling in us. In verse 17, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, with God himself dwelling in you. And verse 19 says, here's how this flows out, what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in Psalms Hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, singing to each other and singing to the Lord. That's evidence of God dwelling in us. Is that we would bust out in song? Uh, I'm not gonna. I may. I may be tempted to do that at times. So I might. But I'm glad that Ben is the more talented one to help lead us in singing. (laughs) Uh, but, but, but even in, even when you're listening to that song in the car, or when you're you're singing to one of your friends, or you're you're dwelling on who God is, and you're considering the wonders and the beauties of His character, being filled with the Spirit is associated with singing. Is associated with singing. So this morning, again, like my goal then is to give us some, a couple of maybe like weighty, little pieces of information from scripture about who God is and about what that means for us in the song, Oh Holy Night, in the song, Oh Holy Night. And if you have an Advent guide, you can look ahead to all the other songs. Um, I thought one thing that was kind of neat, you can basically, these are all fairly popular songs, maybe with one exception, Uh, you can find the song in about any genre you want. Um, so I have uh, like one of my favorite versions of O Come O Come Emmanuel is from an EDM artist. So like if you can find that, uh, then you could probably find a version of O Holy Night that you really like. Um, Carrie Underwood was my favorite one and I don't listen to country music like at all, but she crushes it on O Holy Night. Um, so you <laughs> don't shake your head at that. <laughs> So see, we all have a little different vibe on on what kind of music we're gonna listen to, and that's okay. That's the beauty of these songs. Um, So we're gonna talk about O Holy Night. We're gonna talk about two things. What God did and who you are. Since I had to introduce Advent and kind of introduce the idea of the songs, we're just gonna hit on two things with O Holy Night. What God did and who you are. So let me... Pray for us. That was probably like the longest introduction before a prayer ever. I know that, I, I'm aware. Um, so we just have two points. Uh, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help so that as we look at this song, this O Holy Night, which we're gonna sing after we take communion, as we look at this song, we can sort of figure out what God did uh, and, and who you are. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you you. Um, that you didn't just beam a textbook down for us to read facts about you. Um, you desire to engage our emotions, our feelings, our whole heart, mind, and soul, Lord. You want us to have a sense of you, not just in our head, but in our heart. And I know that music is a way that you fill us with your spirit. Music is a way that, that shows that we're enjoying and worshiping you. And even as we Sung this morning, it's your presence that gives us our strength. And it's hard. It's hard to take time to consider your presence in a season that's busy, even if it's busy with things we enjoy and things that are fun, Lord, and you've given us uh, so many tools to experience your grace in word and in prayer and in fellowship and also in song. So I pray as we just look at O Holy Night this morning that there would be wonderful truths about who you are that would resonate in our hearts and stir us to have a sense of who you are when we sing and when we worship you. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so kind of verse one on O Holy Night, it starts out by just saying, O Holy Night, this is the idea that this is a very special night Uh, We talked about the idea of what holiness means when we talked about Sabbath. It's something that is set aside that's for for a special purpose for God. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. And you may have picked up on it. I said at the beginning, what has God done? And the word up there was kenosis. And if you've never heard of that word, neither had I. Um, but it's a word that comes from scripture. It's a Greek word that basically means to empty oneself. So it's this idea that yes, our, our savior was born into this world, but he was born into this world by emptying himself. And that comes from Philippians. So let's look at a Philippians real quick to starting in verse five. Paul's writing a letter to a church and this is where this word comes from. That's why we're kind of going to this passage. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's, he's trying to tell us what God has given us, the sort of the perspective that God has given us on those around us. And this perspective that's given to us by Jesus himself because we're united to Jesus, and now he's gonna go on to sort of explain what sort of attitude that Jesus has as he goes forward and serves others in the community. Verse six, here's, here's sort of Jesus's attitude as he came, uh, as the psalm says, the night of our dear Savior's verse, verse six, who, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He he, he couldn't say this more directly, saying, though he, uh, I guess John says this more, John says the phrase, though he was God, he is God, he's with God. Jesus is God, he's, he's in the form of God. He did not account equal, equality with God, the thing to be grasped. He wasn't, he wasn't making himself much. Verse seven then says, but this is what he did do. He made himself nothing or he emptied himself. This is kenosis. This is where that word kenosis comes from. This is what he actually did. He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. One of this is, um, you know, we could spend a lot of time just kind of thinking through this idea of the fact that Jesus was God and Jesus was man and he was fully man, and he was fully God, and how does it all work itself out? But I just, one of the ways that I think is really simple, a theologian I appreciate, he says, God added humanity to himself by subtraction. God added humanity to himself by subtraction, he emptied himself. He left the perfect harmony in the, in the presence of the Father where there's fullness of joy to, to care for us and to step down into the world to empty himself, to give up of himself by taking on the form of a servant. And then look at what he does in verse eight. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he gave everything up, leaving the presence of the Father. He emptied himself of all the joy eternal that he had with God himself. Not to just show up in this world, but to obey all the way to the point of death. Now as wonderful as that truth is, is the fact that this is a truth that should cause us to worship, could cause us to say, thank you Lord that you would do these things for us. I think it's hard to understand sort of the weight of this unless we understand where it fits in the whole story of God. We talked a little bit about this during our Covenant Members meeting and you may see this come up a lot if you wanna put that picture up. This is what happened when Aaron does, uh, I don't even remember, what's that website? (laughs) Canva, yeah, so when Aaron does Canva, it's kinda ugly and not that cool. Um, so I figured if I just did one like that for today, um, then people with better talent than me would sort of work it out. Um, but all of this is, is when we talk about the whole story of the Bible, when we talk about what is, a, what is a summary of what God is saying, these are just six little symbols that sort of help us walk through the whole story. These are just six sort of easy tools so that you can have like a picture image of, of the sort of the whole story of the Bible. And I was talking to uh, uh, an atheist friend of mine who is uh, one of the most uh, offensive dudes that I love in my life. And I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and he's like, Aaron, you and I see eye to eye on everything in a lot of ways, you know, maybe other than the language we use and things like that. But it's but functionally how we live our lives and who we care for or these things. He's like, he's like I, I, I like where you're coming from and I like what you do, but I don't like this the way you present how God has structured the entire world, I reject that. I reject that. And I said, well, if you reject that, then all the things you like um, sort of fall apart. And he's like, well, I don't, we've got, then we got into a long conversation. But, but this idea that God, you know, uh, God is, you know, this is a, a loaded word, but God is the only one that ultimately controls the narrative. He's God. He is the only one that gets to control the narrative because he is the one that created everything. And this is just a little tool to help us think about that and say, okay, well, we're praising the night of our dear Savior's birth, this kenosis, this idea that he emptied himself. But how does that fit in to everything that's going on in history? Like, why does that even matter? And and I like this because there's six sort of acts in the story. The down arrow is this reality that God has come down in creation. God has created everything. He created everything and he made it good. He made it wonderful. Adam sings his song about his wife, and God says, this is very good. This is wonderful, and God and Adam and Eve dwell together in the garden. They're, they're in God's very presence. they the creator of all things. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They're in His very presence without sin, without brokenness, without frustration, without anything that would cause any pain or suffering. They're enjoying the very presence of God. This is how God designed His creation. And this was the very wonderful thing they did at the very beginning of the story. And that's sort of the first act of what the Bible is telling us. And the bummer part the bummer part is that things were ruined. Humanity decided to rebel against God. Decided to push back. Decided to say, no, you're not good, Lord. I don't accept what you've said. I have a better way. I do what I want. I can find my own way to glory. And because of that rebellion, because of that anger and enmity and, and just lashing out at everything that was good that God created, there's now brokenness in the world. That's sort of what the X is there for. There's brokenness in the world. There's sin. I sin, I fail, I fall short, I cause myself hurt. Others sin, others fail, others offend, others cause hurt to me. And on top of that, the world itself is broken. Things are in the world, not the way it should be. This is the the story that God is telling in all the scripture. And so what does he do? At the very beginning, the forward arrow, is he promises that he will restore all things back to the way they should be in the very presence of God where there's fullness of joy and wonder and majesty and peace and restoration and none of those broken things that cause us so much suffering in this world. He promises that. So for thousands of years, that promise is developed. And then God goes silent for 400 years. 400 years. America hasn't even been around that long. 400 years of not hearing from the Lord. And all of a sudden, someone shows up on the scene and says, guess what's gonna happen? Our Savior is going to be born. The Magi see a star in the sky and the angels sing, And we get the opening lines of our song that say, oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. The beginning of everything being restored, the beginning of us being able to be back in the very presence of God, the beginning of my sin, the sin of others, and the brokenness of the world, beginning to be fixed is what they're celebrating at the beginning of oh, holy night. This is what God is doing There's a new act in the story and he's entered in, he's emptied himself so that he could bring everyone back into the presence of the Lord, even though we all sin and fall short of that glory. Verse one, verse one actually talks about sort of the idea of this in the story. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Pining is not really a word we use that much, but it's like wasting away. Long lay the world in sin and error, wasting away. It's acknowledging the story. It's saying there has been brokenness for a long time and it feels like nothing is worth it because how many millennia has it been Of men trying to bring in something that is peaceful and eternal and fulfilling and and sort of resolves all the problems that are in the world, whether they're in us or whether they're outside of us or whether they're a part of the world. It's like none of this is working out. But then the next line says, Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. Jesus emptied himself, came down in the form of a slave, was obedient unto death because he said, you were worth it because he loves you. You are worth it to him. I thought about that line, long lay the world in sin and error pining. And I was like, man, there's a lot of sin and error in my life and in those around me and in just the broken, messed up things in the world that keep me from enjoying the very presence of God. That's what sin does. Sin breaks that relationship so we can actually enjoy and rest in and appreciate God himself. And sometimes that's not even my sin. Sometimes it's other people. It is my sin. That definitely happens. Sometimes it's completely outside of my control. Sometimes it's something that isn't even like a personal thing. It's just a reality of the broken world. Why do we think I all got masks on this morning? Things are not the way they should be. There's painful, broken things in this world that that keep us that keep us from enjoying the beauty and the wonder and the majesty of God himself that keep us from, one, from enjoying the entire purpose of this creation is for us to be in the presence of God and enjoy him forever. The beauty is, if we go back to the story, Jesus has come, he has emptied himself, We're singing past tense about the night of our dear Savior's birth. And there's more to the story. It moves forward. It moves forward. That's the next little arrow. And this is sort of the way it plays itself out in the the song. It says a thrill of hope The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, the thrill of hope. Yes, we are separated from God. Yes, we we struggle to enjoy his presence and, and, and to be united with him in the way that we were designed to be, in the way that he created everything to be but because of what Jesus has done, he's already begun to restore that relationship. We, we spend a lot of time in, in Hebrews talking about this because he's in heaven, risen from the dead, because he has accomplished a, a significant, most important part of the plan of God and emptying himself and dying and raised again, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices because now Jesus himself is taking all of those things that get in the way between you and the presence of God and beginning to mend those things. Your sin, others' sin, broken things in the world, none of those things can keep Jesus from doing what he came to accomplish by bringing you into the presence of God because he is capable, because he's God himself. So what God did, kenosis, what God did, what did he do? In light of our rebellion, in light of everything that's broken, in light of us shaking our fists at him in the fall, he actually emptied himself for us. He actually worked to restore that relationship in what he did on the cross. Oh, holy night. (laughs) So you know what that means? It means you are loved. Who are you? You are loved and you're worth something to the creator of the universe that he would do those things. He cares for you. has compassion for you. He would suffer in this world for you. He would leave the glory of the majesty of the presence of God for you, even if you want him to, and you forget about him and you ignore him. He loves you and is pursuing you. That's who you are. You're loved because of what we sing about in "O Holy Night." It's proof of God's love for you. First John brings this up. starting in verse four. Sorry, starting in verse nine. Chapter four, verse nine. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So do you wanna understand together how much love God has for you? Let me tell you what this is. That God sent his only son into the world so that you and I might live through him. You and I can have a life eternal, even today in the very presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. God can reveal himself to you and comfort you and be your strength through, your pres- through his presence because we live through the means of what Jesus has done 2,000 years ago, and what he's currently doing today. Verse 10, he like reiterates it. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. No, we rebelled. We were against him. We weren't considering him. We didn't think about him. We wanted to do things our own way. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's a big word, but because we rebel against God, because we act as we act as enemies of God, God should punish us. We do fall short. We don't, we don't, we, we can't stand in front of a holy, majestic God who's sinless and perfect by ourselves. He should punish us for the for the ways that we rebel against him. But part of Jesus' emptying himself was to was to take that punishment himself. That's where the propitiation, he he satisfied the just wrath of God. That's why you are loved. Who are you? You are loved because no matter what you do wrong, it's already been poured out on Jesus himself because he emptied himself because of what God did. Verse 11, he says, Beloved, beloved, my family, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If this is what God has done, if he's poured himself out for you and he's done that so you can have all the fulfillment and joy and pleasure in God himself, if he's given you all of that and you have a sense and experience of that, why can't you give a little tiny piece for those around you? We should love one another. And this shows up in O Holy Night. It's verse three uh, in the guide. It's, uh, in most songs, it's the, just the second verse. Um, it says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. He has shown you what true love looks like. Giving himself for us bringing us back into the presence of God. His gospel, gospel, we, you know, we say the beauty of the gospel is a phrase that we use a lot. It's beautiful. It's good news that the the word gospel just means good news. It's good news that he has made peace between God and man. It's good news that he's fixed what was broken at the very beginning of the story so that now you can actually experience the very presence of God so that your sin can begin to be mended, so that other sin can begin to be mended, so that things in the world could begin to be restored. That's the good news of his peace. The next line says, "'Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, "'and in his name all oppression shall cease.'" This hymn was actually popularized in the United States right before the Civil War, very popular line of the North. Because Jesus didn't empty himself for a color, for a race, for a language. He emptied himself for all people who were made in God's image. Every single individual From the moment of conception to the painful end, every single soul of every single color, of every single race, of every single nation has worth to God calls us to restore things, and in his name all oppression shall, shall cease. When we begin, like John says, to love like he loved, but that's what love looks like. When we begin to love like he loves, restoration begins to happen. He's he's drawn you into the presence of God. He's formed us. He's God with us, Emmanuel. We sing that earlier. He's formed us so that we could restore things around us and where he's placed us. He's transformed us so that we could love others outward. So that we could also empty ourselves for our friends and our neighbors because we're so filled with the presence and wonder and beauty of God. We can actually draw others like Christ has done also into the presence of God so that they can be restored as well. This is why we're here. (laughs) This is what God is doing. We talked about his mission uh, last week a little bit He spelled out the story for us. He's moving towards new creation, the the final, ultimate realization where we have no experience of sin at all and all we know is restoration in his presence. That's where he's going, but he's doing that by bringing his presence into a people and making them a light to those around us. This is what he's doing. And I think about that and it's like a little bit overwhelming and intimidating because things are very broken around us. How do we, little Emmaus, shine like a light in this world? How do we cut through maybe the noise that's just even in the city that we live in? We remember what God has done. In Philippians, where we started, I stopped because there's more. He didn't just empty himself and die and raise and go somewhere and hang out for a little bit and like, I don't know, wait for something. Look at what Philippians 2 verse nine says about Jesus, what he did. He says, therefore God has highly exalted him This has actually already happened. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, so that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is Lord. He has been exalted. He is sitting on the throne. And when he says to the disciples, go, be a light to the nations, shine my presence to those around you where I've placed you, he says, because I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. I will be seated in the heavenly throne through my spirit, you'll be connected to me and I will be with you until the end of the story. I'll be with you until all things are made new. His emptying, his kenosis, what he did was so that when he raised up and he seated on the throne, he could equip you to be a light to those around you. You're able to do that. You're able to draw others into the presence of God and bring restoration to those around you because of what Jesus is doing sitting on his throne today. So it doesn't matter if Emmaus is five or 500, Jesus on his throne is capable of making us a light to others around us. That's encouraging. That's wonderful that it's not on us. And I love the line in the second chorus or the third chorus, depending on what version you're looking at. It says, Christ is the Lord. And it draws it out, (laughs) like for a bit. (laughs) Because it's just such a, it's a wonderful exclamation mark on the reality that we're not stuck in this world without a king ruling and reigning. Everywhere you are, every person he's brought into your life, every difficult thing that you have had to deal with, are dealing with, or gonna deal with, is coming at the sovereign hand of our Lord, who's the same one who emptied himself for you. And if he's given you that, will he not give you all things? Will he not equip you appropriately to be a light to others in the world? We are in sin and error, pining, wasting away, but he's sitting on his throne so that we can be restored, so that we can be refreshed, and so that we can be a light to those around us. Christ is the Lord, it's his power and his glory evermore proclaim. Not ours. His power in his glory ever more proclaim. Amen. Amen. That's what equips us. That's what, that's what enables a song in a car between crazy events to give us a sense of who God is and, and give us joy and peace when everything might be crumbling around us. And I would just encourage you you have a guide, there are some songs, life is gonna be crazy in the next month. Remember that even if it's just for a moment, Jesus is still on his throne and through something as simple as a song, he is capable of drawing you into the presence of God and comforting you. Even if it's for a few minutes between one crazy thing and the next crazy thing. He's given us all these wonderful means so that we could have more of a sense of who he is, so that we could have our strength, so that we could have our joy. And I hope kind of during this Advent series, we can, we can use some of the deep theology of these Christmas carols, so that when we sing, even in a few minutes, Christ is the Lord, praise his name forever, that means something to us and draws us into God himself. That's the beauty of what Jesus is able to do as we wait for that final down arrow in the story of full restoration where we don't even know what sin is. We forget all of the broken things because we're enjoying in its fullness the wonder and the beauty of God himself. In the meantime, though, we can sing and we can worship and we can still have a sense of who God is. Let's pray. Father you are so wise so wonderful so caring so loving so stabilizing and in your great mercy you've given us means to be filled with the spirit as we sing songs to one another even today Lord I pray that your spirit would remind us of the deep theology of these carols so that when we have a second and we're struggling, we could have, a, have just a tiny glimpse of who you are and we could have peace and we could have joy and we could step forward and give of ourselves to others for your glory and for your honor. Help us with that this morning, this week, and for the rest of our lives. In your name I pray, amen.